Hey, everybody, welcome to the Grow Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McNulty, and this is your personal development school of growth, where each week my guests and I will bring and break down big ideas and practices that will help you learn, grow, and succeed in life. Thanks for checking us out. Now, let the growth begin. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Grow Yourself, where we dive deep into the art and science of personal growth. Our mission is really simple, is to invite guests, experts, thought leaders, you know, so that we can ask questions to help us learn, change, and grow in life. So today we have really an extraordinary guest, Dr. Kyra Bobinette, a trailblazer who blends behavior change and neuroscience to unlock new levels of self-awareness and transformation. Dr. Bobinette has passionately pursued and studied the truth about behavior change for nearly three decades as a physician, public health leader, healthcare executive, and behavioral expert. An award-winning health innovator and thought leader, Dr. Bobinette has an MD from UC San Francisco School of Medicine and an MPH from Harvard University. She belongs to the Stanford School of Medicine, AIM Lab, where she occasionally teaches on health behavior change and CEO, founder of Fresh Try, a behavioral software based, based on the latest neuroscience of habit forming and lasting change. Her first best-selling book, Well-Designed Life, is a collection of globally influential brain science and behavior change. Dr. Bobinette is, is an enrolled member of Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe uh, in Minnesota, and we're going to ask her about that. And uh, she enjoys medicine, or excuse me, she enjoys meditation. Uh, and medicine, by the way, horsemanship uh, and herbalism and lives with her family and animals and plant teachers in California, Santa Cruz Mountains. Her first book, Well-Designed Life, 10 Lessons in the Brain Science and Design Thinking for Mindful, Healthy and Purposeful Life. And now she has a book coming out in March called Unstoppable Brain, The New Neuroscience That Frees Us from Failure, Eases Our Stress and Creates Lasting Change. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome to Grow Yourself, uh, Dr. Kyra Bobinet. Dr. Bobinet, thank you so much for taking the time and being with us. I'm truly excited about this conversation. Yeah, me too. Listen, you know, as I with, do with all my guests, I would first just love uh, for you to just tell the audience a little bit about you, you know, your background, maybe where you were raised. I want to interested to know more about your uh, your uh, connection to to the is it uh, Ibn, Ibn uh, say it again Ojibwe Ob, o, Ojibwe Ojibwe, yeah. Mm -hmm. Ojibwe yeah. yeah thank you very much yeah so tell us so, a little bit about who is Kyra yeah so I was um, born in Iowa um, my dad is was a hundred percent Bohemian Czech he passed away a couple of years ago oh, and sorry. my mom is Ojibwe and um, that's a indigenous tribe native tribe up in Minnesota area so Minnesota Iowa. And then my dad was a military person. And so he grew up uh, or he, I was grown up in the VA hospital system, kind of bouncing around all over uh, the place, not as much as maybe a military brat, but probably about 70% until we got to Oklahoma and then my parents divorced and, mm -hmm. um, but my, they stayed in the same town. And then I finished junior high and high school there and then went to college in Colorado and then bounced around, went to, uh, of course, medical school in San Francisco, and then uh, Harvard, and then back to California. So I'm pretty much sampled the United States and, yes, and all have. the different regions. Yeah, I really appreciate everybody's 
point of view. Like, I feel like I'm a very neutral person for that reason in this world that we live in. Um, I'm, I'm very much appreciate and empathize with everybody. You know, um, so you're a fellow brat and that's, I'm always, <laughs> always grateful to be around a fellow military brat. Listen, um, th there is so much, I, I think I mentioned earlier that when I first started re researching, I, I did some research, you know, a few days ago, and then I came back early this morning to kind of just read up on you and really dig in deeper. And I literally fell back on my chair and said, uh, I'm not going to be ready for this woman. I mean, she is just too, you're so accomplished, you know, and mm -hmm. you, you bring, you, you, you seem to, uh, bring this really beautiful sort of spiritual and professional thing together in a very, very nice way. But let me ask you this as we get started. You said, I believe it was on your website or something that I read. You said, I want to free myself and others from suffering, from the suffering mm -hmm. we wallow in or mm -hmm. actively deny every day. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a pretty doggone tall order, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bold <laughs> when it comes to that kind of thing, but I'm super clear that my life is dedicated to the reduction of suffering. And, um, and I look for it everywhere and I, and I try to offer solutions. That's kind of how I came to neuroscience is that, you know, where is suffering except in, in the mental, you know, there's pain, which can be anywhere in the body or anywhere in the emotional body. And then there's suffering, which is that kind of extra piece of this shouldn't be happening, you know, get me out of here, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, really focusing on what we can alleviate in terms of how we address our pain, how we address our lives. Well, it, just again, reading up, and I've I've read some excerpts from your book, from your your uh, your first book, and <clears throat> I have to be honest with you. The first thing that I thought when I was reading about it is, and we we don't have to turn this into religious conversation, but it was about Paul in the Bible. Yeah. Where he said somewhere in Romans, you know, uh, I don't know, I think he was complaining to God saying, why do I do the things that I I shouldn't do and and mm. don't do the things I should do? And that's essentially what you look into, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So that's something in psychology called the no-do gap. I also call it the brain behavior gap because I had a patient who was in a clinical study of mine named Lisa. And I did kind of a, a midterm interview with her to kind of see how the program was going. It was a weight loss program and it was based on metabolic disease. And she at first is like, oh, I'm losing weight. I'm doing so great. And I was thinking like, yes, you know, but then halfway through the interview, she pauses and she goes, you know, I know what I should do. I don't know why I don't do it. And for me, every patient that I've ever had myself as a patient, you know, when I'm in that role, um, myself trying to get myself to do things. And like, doesn't that kind of hit the nail on the head? Yeah. It's like, we, we, we know what to do most of the time and, or, or we know what we want to do and we don't get ourselves to do it. We just can't figure that out. And actually it turns out that there's a brain area that is newly discovered and characterized that is causing all of this and nobody knows about it. So now my mission is to like, you know, really get the awareness out there around that. I'm just going to be fully transparent that when I read some of that and as I listen to you right now, I, I can only be honest with you and my audience and say I have, I, I don't want to say struggle, I want to say suffered from mm -hmm. this all my life. Mm -hmm. That um, and, and and it's ongoing. And I mm -hmm. and as a coach, I see this in so many people that it's 
you know, when people say, well, why do I need a coach? <laughs> and, and I say, well, almost just really just to push you, keep you accountable because you know mm -hmm. what to do, don't you? And mm -hmm. they go, yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. Well, why mm -hmm. don't you do it? I don't know. And mm -hmm. I haven't been able to answer that question. So tell me more about that. Yeah. So basically we have an area in our brain called the habenula. No one has to remember that name, but it's H-A-B-E-N-U-L-A. And it's about a half a centimeter big in the middle of your brain, um, right in front of the pineal gland. And basically it has two jobs. One is that it acts as a failure alarm. If I think I failed at something, if I, if I think I, I want to try to get myself to exercise and then I see myself not doing it, then I think I failed, right? And this could be conscious or it could be subconscious. It could be in your sleep. It could be big, uh, you know, something I know I'm trying to do and it could be something tiny. Like I, I meant to put the ketchup away last night and I didn't do it. Those are little tiny failure signals. And this part of your brain is a, is counting those and alarming on those. And if it wakes up, if the alarm goes off, basically the second thing it does is it is a motivation kill switch for anything that you're trying to do in that category. And so if I, if I try to exercise, if I say, I'm going to try to exercise tomorrow, I don't do it. The brain keeps count, the habenula lights up, and then it kills my motivation to exercise the next day. And so there you can automatically see this thing from, Paul, you know, like that, that he's describing in the Bible that we all, every single human being on this planet, you know, you're not alone. Nobody's alone has this gap. It's, it's how we close the gap. It's how we understand what's at the bottom. And also that we don't blame ourselves for the gap. You know, that almost seems impossible to me mm. from, from the standpoint that I think, and, and so what I do, and again, I, you know, is, and, and I suppose many do this. I, I don't feel like I'm alone in this, but that, so yes, I don't go to the gym and then the next day I don't. And what I have to do is ramp myself back up mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. psychologically get myself. Okay. I'm uh, okay. I'm going to go back. I'm going to start back on Monday. And then, mm -hmm. then I literally try to psych myself back up. And, but then I repeat mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Is this typical? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I like to call it like habenula scars you know, so if I've tried something in the past, you know, and I, I got myself to do it, and then I all of a sudden felt like I failed at it, and then I kind of like scorched earth, you know, just like yeah. that that method won't work anymore. Then I've got to be creative and figure out how do I get myself to do this? It's like one half of us is is the person saying, let's go to the gym, like, let's get this going. And the other part is like, no, you know, like I failed last time, you know, and so there's that negotiation that you're doing with yourself. And sometimes it needs a, a refresh. Sometimes it needs like a different, you know, method, like maybe a different type of exercise or maybe a buddy to go with you. Or like you said, a coach to kind of help you go through these things that on your own, you've got all these habenula scars that would, you know, convince you pretty well that you failed and that you shouldn't be doing this again. Well, and, and, and again, I, I can only speak for myself, but, it, but being a coach, I, I hear this from others as well. Yeah. That the, it, the, 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 the sense of being, of, of defeating yourself, you know, yes. the, the, the constant failing at trying again and trying again. In fact, mm -hmm. I've often said that on my gravestone, I'm going to put, he really tried, you know, there I, you mean, go. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, but, but I have even in my own life and again, speaking with others, I, I, others, I, I, I realize that uh, this, this feeling of defeat goes really deep. 
you you mm-hmm. just you you just start saying you know man you really suck kevin don't you you can't mm-hmm. seem to get this right why can't you get up out of bed and head to the gym every morning and the reason why that happens is that this habenula part of your brain it's like a thief in the night you know you go to sleep and you wake up unmotivated and then you blame yourself the the prefrontal cortex the part of you that judges you right blames you for being lazy or being unmotivated. And this is such a common problem that people don't realize that they just tripped this part of their brain and, and they, they focus their attention on how bad they are and how ashamed they are and, and, and guilt and all those things instead of like, oh, I must have thought I failed. Like a perfect example, last weekend, I thought I failed at something because I didn't, I didn't pay attention to a particular sequence of editing that was happening around the new book. And I had a deadline of Sunday night at 12.59 or 11.59 PM, that kind of, that kind of deadline, you know? <laughs> so I was, I was just like, but I couldn't get myself to sit down and write because I had not knowing to myself, I had thought that I failed at catching something and, and getting a certain deadline in. And I didn't have any motivation to edit anymore, to go back in because I already had a failure around like, well, this should be done already, or I should have done it def- differently. And that shooting, that that failure disease, and there's so many types of failure, really shut off my motivation. And I and because I know the neuroscience, because I know that that's what's happening when I see a no do gap, I address it very differently than the rest of the population because they're all stuck, and I'm able to keep going. But I want to share that secret or that that recipe with everybody. And please do. <laughs> We're doing it right now. <laughs> um, yeah. You know the um, this this I'm I'm so fascinated by this because of this repetitive as I just mentioned conversation that I've had going on with myself and I being one a military brat and Mm -hmm. two in the military for twenty years um, I didn't give myself any breaks right I I I didn't you know I, I was like Kevin that's not good enough to just yeah. say hey you're you know I, I you know you know, people, even my wife, she would try to sort of, um, you know, console me about my uh, lacking of habits or, or good habits or whatever the case might be. And I would say, nope, sorry, can't, can't buy it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just, uh, I just need to get off my butt here. Mm-hmm. Well, let me, let me make another connection point then, Please. because the habenula is also now being seen like the most recent research in the last three years, like since COVID even, all the papers are showing that it is the culprit, the the cause of depression. So if you kind of string these things together, I try something good for myself. I see that it doesn't happen. No do gap. I feel bad about myself. My motivation is gone, just gone. You know. Then I then I indict myself for not having motivation. Then that causes rumination. That is a state of depression. Yeah, I've actually just been reading a bit about uh, rumination and how that takes place. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people, as you probably know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, myself and also my contemporaries about 10 years ago, we really thought we had answered this. Like the cause of depression is rumination, you know, the self-focus, you know, kind of like nobody, you know, not good enough, like all that kind of running garbage that our brain somehow manufactures. 
um, is in the prefrontal cortex, specifically the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex for people who are nerdy. Um, and, and so it's, it's, we thought that, you know, that that was what was causing people to kind of get down and be like, oh, I can't, you know, can't get out of bed kind of stuff because the oppressiveness of that self-talk can be really debilitating. However, now that we know that there's a habenula that all of that stuff communicates with, we realize that that was just the cloud system, you know, like all that rumination kind of is a setup for depression, but it doesn't cause depression, right? Wow. It, it's the habenula that's like, none of this matters. What's the point? There's no point to my life. There's no like, and, and in the extreme can get really dangerous for that person, right? Um, and the only thing that shuts up the habenula without knowing about the habenula is numbing, is addictions. And so it's also very active and, and important for addictions. And, and the way I like to way I like to explain this more simply for people who are not scientists, because I don't expect the world to be scientists, sure. is a brake pedal and a gas pedal in your car. So for years and years and years, we thought that the way to make people feel better was serotonin and dopamine, like the gas pedal, like feel good, you know, like just go, 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 motivate, motivate, you know, just do it, all that kind of stuff. And to some extent in the beginning, you can kind of like ignore the failure and kind of go with it, you know, like you can start to go after dopamine stuff. But the brake pedal was on the whole time. The brake pedal oh, is the habenula. Uh. It's the anti-reward pathway is what it's called in the literature. And so and so we were we were so focused on this dopamine system that we didn't realize the brakes were on the whole time. And so then, of course, somebody's going to be like, well, I can't get motivated. You know, like you're telling me just do it. I just can't do it, you know, and then they blame themselves and they feel badly about themselves. And and the brakes were on the whole time. And so now I really want to focus everybody on the brake. Like you have to disengage that brake, just like a real car. If you're punching the to the you know pedal to the metal, but your brake is on, you're not going anywhere. This might explain, this is so fascinating. This might explain why I've heard people speak, and I spoke this myself, that a person has a feeling about themselves, that they believe, even from a spiritual standpoint, that, mm -hmm. you know, you know, God has a purpose for me. Yeah. And 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 that then butts up against the idea that you keep failing it. You're thinking to yourself, man, I I just know there's something inside of me that's trying to break mm -hmm. out. Why mm -hmm. won't it? And so there's mm -hmm. these moments of pushing forward and feeling good about it. And then bam, you hit a brick wall. And it's like this constant thing going back and forth. And what you just said, I don't know if I'm just, you know, making this up, but it sounds like it's that what you're telling, talking about. You're hundred percent correct. You're hundred percent correct. Like basically uh, from a clinical perspective, if you can't get yourself to do your purpose, if you're blocked, if you're stuck on your purpose, your habenula is on. Full stop. You have some form of failure disease that has tripped off your habenula and your motivation left town. And so how do you get it back? You have to people. So I did research on Walmart Associates who... Uh, you know, I was hired to look at, you know, who was healthy, why, who, you know, like how, how do people get healthy, that kind of thing. And in a very small percentage of, you know, 1 million associates, there were people who could lose weight, get off their meds, 
you know, like, you know, really change their lives and maintain it and maintain it. That second part is absolutely the Holy grail, right? Um, because if you can't maintain it, you know, 99% of things that people try backfire, right? Because they don't know about the habenula, because they don't know that failure is the most important thing they should neutralize ever, right? That's and so these people were like, I don't know if you've heard of that show, MacGyver, but like MacGyver mm -hmm. was like this clever person who, mm -hmm. you know, could dismantle a bomb with a, you know, a paperclip and a piece of gum, right? Mm -hmm. And so these people were like MacGyvers, you know, they were able to persist and get and unstick themselves on a regular basis where you could imagine everybody else got stuck to the flypaper, you know, in, in their efforts to, or their, their desire to follow their purpose. These people were like on purpose and they were able to clear all the obstacles because they would neutralize failure. And the way that they did that was two magical things. One is they, instead of setting a goal that was hard and fixed, they would set like a practice or an experiment. And the second thing is that instead of failing at said goal, because it was fixed and defined and all these things, they would iterate. And that's like a big word, but I hope that by the end of this decade that people, everybody wants to know and is able to iterate, which means that you're tinkering and tweaking with the, the problem until it fits or that it fits better and better. You're engaging yourself. That is the way that they were closing that no do gap was by iterating their way to success. And I have this, I have this phrase like iterators never fail. They never failed because it was not a failure. It was just like, well, that's just information I can use to keep iterating. This was the, uh, you know, and so you mean to iterate and then reiterate, correct? In other words, to rethink it again. And iterate is it like again. versioning, like, you know, your, your phone is like version yes. one, two, three, like, you know, your, your experiment is updated through iteration. So I might, for example, there was one woman who um, she was addicted to Dorito bags. Dorito chips. And she would, her way of losing weight was to uh, lick a chip every day because she liked the flavoring and throw away the, the actual chip. But at first she would eat the whole bag. Then she would iterate and be like, I'll leave one chip at the bottom of the bag. Then she iterated and was like, I'll leave five chips. Like she, she, she walked her way through to the end state where she licked one chip, threw it away, and she lost a ton of weight. So, so like, we don't want to have a diet of like, lick a chip. We want to have a diet of yeah. figure out what works for you. F figure yourself out, F figure out what you will do because that's your diet. Well, I mean, and, and the, the example is a great one, really. It's, I think, as you just said, it's this idea of, of, yeah, iterating, just kind of playing around with it and Seeing trying another version and see what happens yeah. with it all. Well, Kyra, where, why? you know, why do some suffer from this problem and others don't? Where does it start in the first place? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what your childhood was like, but mine was like, suck it up and, you know, you're not good enough. Yeah. And so a lot of us in that category um, who were raised that way, who were, um, you know, imbued with a certain type of failure disease, uh, we we suffer from it. And if we can't conquer that. And usually what people do is they'll, they'll figure it out in their career, but they won't figure it out with their, you know, eating or they'll figure it out with their exercising, but they won't figure it out with their personal relationships. 
So we're very kind of categorical as humans where we, we feel confident and where we could just like perform, perform, perform and set a goal and track against that goal. Like that's a very high level of confidence and competence that you would use those tools. Everything else should be iteration. Everything else should be de-shaming and de-blaming the self by saying, well, I learned this and I'm going to now iterate in this way. That's the empowered state. That's you in control of you, you know, you being able to engage you. Everything else is some shade of a setup for eventual failure. This is just mind blowing. So where do emotions play in all of this? Because I, I submit that, um, you know, I use this term, I, I didn't coin it, but this idea that, you know, your, your emotions, you know, hijack your thoughts and, and then you're, you know, you're, you're, you're in for a ride for a minute, you know? And so how can you rationalize, you know, when your emotions are, are, you know, holding you hostage, if you will? Yeah. What I noticed in the MacGyvers is that um, the people who were able to change their, you know, everything long-term is that they would not wallow in emotion. They would iterate even on their emotion, you know, so they would, and they, they would have some inspiration like, well, today's tomorrow's a new day, you know, Today didn't go so well, but tomorrow's a new day. There was a, there was a letting go. There was a, there was a releasing, mm. and all that mattered was that they were able to shorten the length in which they were wallowing. You know, wow. and this is supported by something called the National Weight Loss Registry, which is just basically a proxy for any behavior change at scale. Ten thousand people who have achieved long term weight loss. The only thing different between them and everybody else who gained it all back or who didn't get any weight loss at all is that they would shorten the relapse periods. So whereas somebody who is, you know, really having strong emotions, if they follow that ride, like you said, you know, if they follow that thread, they could get lost down a mm -hmm. wormhole of that mm -hmm. feeling. For And it's not about denying your emotions. It's about shifting into the part of your brain that watches those emotions so that you have some distance instead of being in the water, you're watching above from the bank of the water, you know? So that that's a very important shift to do. Mindfulness helps with that. Cognitive behavioral therapy helps with that. You know, coaching, uh, getting a therapist, you know, just basically journaling, you know, that kind of stuff. Anything that basically, you know, uh, neutralizes the sense that you feel like you're a failure. And that uh, stepping away from your emotions and being able to, I guess, uh, let's say, observe it more objectively, that that's then what allows you to iterate, correct? Yeah, you can have a distance. Yeah, if, if I'm in the anger and I'm not able to go, oh, I'm angry, you know, then I am just unable to really enlist the part of me that can be curious or that can be experimental or that can say, how about iterate in this way? How about iterate how you feel about that? You know, like those kinds of things. What would you then say to the person listening or watching that, you know, that has gotten lost in their own mindset, in their own, uh, you know, maybe the, the the larger wallowing, and that is that, you know, I'm I'm giving up. I've I've tried so many times. What would you say to them? What I would say is, you have a form of failure disease. It is not you. It is just something that is um, an incorrect view about your life, you know? And the most important thing is that you neutralize failure. The most important thing, whether you reframe it 
whether you digest it with somebody, you process that grief, whatever the case may be, whether you break that habit of, of comparison thinking or those things that are getting you down, you know, those kinds of things are all available to you. But the most important thing is to neutralize the failure, because as long as you think you failed at living your life, you're not going anywhere. You get the brakes are on. Like it's very simple. And, and, and the good news is that when you have an iterative mindset, when you have this mindset which is found in nature, you know, people have it and I want it, them to spread it to everybody else. Um, then you really do have the ability to get progress on yourself. And that builds little grains of confidence up out of that hole that you feel like you're in, you know, the hole you're in is basically the failure, you know? And wow. so if you can get that out, then, then your natural motivation will come back your natural good feelings will come back, all that kind of stuff. And the good news is that your mindset is the is a lead indicator. It's something that changes first. And, and you don't have to worry about like, you know, habit formation, which is a year-long process. Like if right. you just hold, if you just focus on your mindset, your mindset drives your behavior, and you just keep reinvesting in that mindset and and saying, Well, how can I iterate? You know, my my company, we just iterate, you know, nobody fails. We just say, you know, and we have, a, at the end of the year, we've got iterator award, you know, we've got like things to reward the process of iteration. It's not about winning and losing. It's about iterating. I'd rather have somebody on my team who could iterate their way out of hell than, than somebody who could perform the most extraordinary feats, you know, of individual performance ever, because I know that's temporary. You know, I, I've been studying this type of thing and personal growth pretty much all my life. And I have never heard this before. Me neither. I, I happened upon it because of, you know, the good, the good people that I, my patients, my uh, participants, you know, people who taught me, they're my teachers, you know? And so I just followed the clues and I, and I know how to speak science. And so I do think it's revolutionary. It's absolutely revolutionary. Mm -hmm. It's it's a big find. It's a mm -hmm. big, big, big find. Yeah. Uh, and and I think everybody listening and watching are just going to find this amazing because it's answering, for instance, um, this uh, idea of imposter syndrome. I assume yeah. we're talking about the same thing, right? Yeah. It's a form of failure. You know, you think you failed at being where you are, but you are exactly where you know God puts you. You know, like you 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 can't believe it. You know, because the world is not kind of beginners. There's no room for beginners. Like we we put pressure on ourselves that we have to be an instant expert at everything, you know, when we're first starting out. Like there's no grace, there's no mercy, you know. But but if we understand that that's just a way that we're failing, then you know, and, and it and it kills our motivation to keep trying. And then we we kind of like, you know, maybe may sabotage ourselves out of an opportunity that we were meant to have, you know. And so that's that's really the dance here is just like. How can you neutralize that form of failure? You're not failing. You know, you're exactly where you need to be. And that's why calling on a higher power is, is very powerful. You know, no pun intended there. But like, if you believe that you were called to do that and you were there for a reason, yeah, it may not be pretty. It may not be easy. It may not be immediate. But you have confidence that there's something bigger than you that puts you there. Yeah. And, th wow. and that neutralizes that failure. If you're too focused on yourself, if you're too focused on the ego, like we're too small to justify everything or, or to explain everything that we're experiencing. There's, there's a greater, there's a greater thing at play.
And, and this is, and and I, I think it was you that mentioned it earlier, maybe it was before we even started here, um, you know, talking about this, this idea of, um, of, um, you know, I, I'm thinking about the importance of humility in all of this and, and sort of the point that you're making is that if, if you, if you somehow think it's just you winning or losing, um, you, you know, maybe you're lucky enough to fall into that category that you just move into the winning uh, lane and you, and you win. But if you fall into the losing lane and have decided that you've lost then mm -hmm. that's it. There's no, there's no more to it. But if you believe there's a higher power, you know, and that, um, that letting go of these thoughts and these ideas and these feelings that you have, you, you know, it's this idea of letting go. I think, I don't remember if you, mm -hmm. you said this to me, you know, but I've often asked people when, when they talked about this, whether it be spiritually or any other form, you know, I, they would say, you know, I, I just let go, you know, of course, in yeah. the, the Christian tradition, they, they talk about, you know, um, being, you know, submitting their self to God, turning over mm -hmm. their, their, whatever, their life to God. Yeah. Um, there's science behind that. It sounds like. <laughs> there is, there is because you're neutralizing failure. You're not saying like, oh, I failed. You know, there, there is no I, there, there is a, you know, the, the great I am. You know, I am. Um, and and so submitting to that and just seeing oneself as a learning being, a, a learning, trying, humble, you know, apologetic, <sighs> sometimes being a flawed yeah. being and just really, really embracing that there can be no failure. So so that person is protected from failure. It's crazy. That is absolutely nuts. <laughs> Kyra, tell 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 us about your books. I want to hear about your first book. First, tell tell us a mm -hmm. little bit more about it. I mean, you've obviously been talking, uh, you know, from that book and your upcoming book. But tell us about your mm -hmm. first book, uh, "Well Designed Life." Yeah. So my intention there was basically like, what's the operating manual for this thing in our heads? You know, like, what, how does it work? Why does it work? You know, like, what are the misunderstandings about it? How do we work with it? That kind of thing. And so the through line with both books is like, you have this amazing machine inside of your skull. And yet we know so little about it and we're learning more. And here's the things that are really important to know for the lay person, you know, things like your self image running everything, you know, your emotions having a certain categories to it. Like, so, so the first book is kind of standing the test of time in terms of, you know, just how to live and how to work with the brain. And then when I was working on the motivation chapter, which was the gnarliest one of the first book, um, I ran into the habenula. It was early days, early days. There was only like two studies that I put together, kind of like Reese's peanut butter and chocolate, you know, like one was if you failed, this thing lit up, but that was just a, that was its own isolated study. And the second was if, if this part of your brain is active, then this, this has no, this person has no motivation or this animal has no motivation to, to keep trying the task. And so I was like, oh, those are related, you know? And then ever since then, I'm a puzzle person, especially during the holidays. Like I, I do a lot of puzzles and, and it's to me, I love the, like the iteration of it, you know, like, oh, and then this, this, you know, whole dock of puzzle pieces now hits to this one and that kind of thing. So I, it, to me, it's been a puzzle assembly. 
And then all this other research came out about habenula controlling your hunger, habenula controlling your sleep, stress, suppressing your habenula and causing, you know, binge eating. Like this is everything. It's, it's like we found the node. We, f- we found the central operating thing. And so the first book kind of opened the door to that and set the stage for that. And then the second book is a deep dive on how that collides with our society. You know, my experience as a clinician, I was trained and taught to just scare people, you know, like those cigarettes are going to kill you, like instead of like knowing how to change behavior. But I was in a position in a seat of behavior change. I just was given information that really wasn't that effective you know, and including like smart goals, you know, I, I ran all these programs with smart goals, you know, like these soup, you know what smart goals are? Yes, I do. Is yes. measurable? Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. you know, I was a, I was a true believer. I was dutiful. I, I implemented what I should have implemented. And every single time I saw no do gap and I saw people avoiding their coach because they didn't do the thing in the smart goal. So there was like a win lose that I wasn't even seeing. We're sitting, it's, it's like showing the water to the fish. We're sitting in this very performative society and performative means there is a win and a lose. And if your confidence, your, your, your self-esteem cannot, you know, endure the repeated battery of win and lose that is set up everywhere, you know, everywhere. My kid, my, my niece was a competitive gymnast and in her world, they had like smart goals for like little girls you know, 12 year olds to lose (laughs) weight, Yeah, you know? And, and so, and so like these, these things, these methods are flawed and then people are getting activated with their habenula because they're not doing the smart goal on time or in the way that they should, or they could do it temporarily. And then eventually they stop doing it. And then all that comes crashing down, all that self-blame, all that I'm not motivated, all that failure comes in. Um, We're just not protecting people from the failure. That's interesting. And just for our audience who may not be familiar with SMART goals, I mean, it's just a simple framework that, you know, that, you know, specific, measurable, you know, achievable, et cetera. And it's very interesting that you say that because uh, I I use, I I don't use them personally. I I use it, I think, as it's intended, just as a framework to help me clarify. Clarify is great. uh, You know, and, 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 and put some kind of measure. I mean, I understand that you know, you, you want a, some sort of a measurement, that a metric that you can kind of attach to. But then there's others who just use this as it's the only way. Mm-hmm. And they get so, I, I've seen people do, you know, two or three pages of SMART goals. And I'm like, how do you ever, how are you going to remember any of that, you know, and carry it around in your mind? But, but I, love, event, I love its use and clarity. clarity. You know, I love, yeah. I love, I love performative tools like that in short bursts. Yes. But but what we're what we're not realizing is that we also have to say, and if this doesn't work, you're not the most horrible person on the planet. Just come back. We'll, we'll iterate. Like iteration makes everything good. It's like duct tape. It's it it corrects everything. <laughs> wow. I mean, this idea of iteration has just blown my mind. I've I've mm-hmm. I've just never heard it applied this way. But as soon as you described it, I was like that's it right there because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're right. It gives you, it, it does also, right? Iteration, if you will, puts you into this mindset of problem solving a little bit. You know, you're not, yeah. you're not just stuck in this, oh my God, it's so big. I'm, let's yeah. just break it down and kind of, okay, so that didn't work. Let's try this. And, and this is that, as opposed to this overwhelming feeling that you have just failed and that's it. Yeah. And great coaching 
helps you iterate. Yes, That's, I get that. To a person, every time I, I'm dealing with a coach who's effective, it's because they're helping. They don't know the name of it yet, but they, that's what they're doing. They're, they're better at iterating than other people. And that comes in the form from a coach of mm-hmm. question asking. Sure. Yeah. You know, just, uh, you know, is, is you know, just a simple question like, you know, is there another way to think about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so the, the idea of, inter- I, I, now I'm thinking of all these questions. I want to ask you this <laughs> question that's going to take us off the beaten path here for just a moment, yes, please. if you don't mind. So the all the science that you've done on the human brain, and let's just let's just expand that to humanity and 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 spirituality and all those mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. What about that and AI? Mm-hmm. Right. Do you, do you think about because I'm hearing people? I've I've listened to some people who who believe that you know AI will eventually know how to feel. And I, I can't get my mind around that. I, I don't think so. It depends. It depends. Oh, oh. Um, yeah, I think right now it's parroting and, you know, putting together uh, information it has, you know, of course, a much vaster uh, ability to store and harvest and uh, make sense of information than our brains consciously can. You know, although there's a part of our brain called, or there, there's a system in our brain called the implicit memory system. And that, excuse me, that is the means by which, you know, every single pattern that we're ever exposed to is stored somehow, you know, and that, you know, our pattern recognition builds out of that. So if you accelerate that, you know, X number fold, that's what you have with AI. AI does not have, unless it codes itself to have this, it does not have uh, emotional systems and, and structures for that. It does not have a habenula that like stops it from, you know, touching the hot stove more than once, that kind of thing, you know? And so those kinds of structures in the brain would need to have a correlation in the AI by the AI or somebody programming the AI in order to approximate the brilliance of the human mind. Now, will it be smarter than us in these other ways? Absolutely. Should we be worried about that and want to control some of that? Yes, absolutely. Are we on? Are, are we going on a um, an unwise path to have the pace of this technology be driven by greed? Yes, you yes. know. So, so there's things like that that you know. And Tristan Harris, who was a contemporary of mine, he went to Stanford. He and I met there, and um, then he went to Google, and then he started something called the Center for uh, humane technology or something like that. So he, he and his group are really at the forefront of calling into question, like, how do we slow this thing down so that we have the ability to use it for good and it doesn't just become a criminal operation? Goodness gracious. What is his name again? Tristan Harris. Tristan Harris. Is mm-hmm. he British? Is he the British gentleman? No, he was, he and his group put out a, a, an Emmy winning, uh, documentary called the social dilemma oh yeah about social media yeah yes. so he okay. was behind okay. that project oh, my how interesting so yeah. now your your second book and i do want to ask uh, you know I, I appreciate you talking about the ai because i i do think about it a fair amount and where it's all going can, and can i say one more thing about that please do my own belief is yes. that if humans can learn how to iterate or just lean into that like not do it accidentally but do it on purpose 
if they can unblock themselves on their failure diseases types and all that kind of stuff, if they can stop performing, overperforming for other people in order to be to, in order to be safe or belong or any of those kinds of things, then they will be empowered and this will not be a problem. That's my own belief is that like, if we can teach the world to iterate, then, you know, cause that's what, that's what AI is doing. It's basically a fast iteration machine. That's crazy. That's, that's fascinating. Now in your books, where do you primarily speak about iteration? Iteration is in the unstoppable brain. That is the focus. So this in is your the well-designed life chapter one. I talk about like designing and, and using iteration to design. So there are, there's a continuity between the two books. The first book kind of sets up the second book, but the second book you can jump in just cold. Is that right? And it will teach you about how to iterate? Yes. In, in the context yes. that you're speaking of? Yes, exactly. So I put together a framework in chapter seven of the second book, Unstoppable Brain, that really goes through like a taxonomy of iteration. So things that I have, I've, I've you know, studied tens of thousands of people, like our, our software has, you know, half a million downloads at this point, you know, we are half a million, sorry, half a million registered users. Like those, like those numbers give us enough ability and we never sell data. We never, I mean, it's completely, you know, for um, good that we're doing all this, but like I yeah. see all the ways in which people iterate and categorize those so that it's an easier way to look at iteration. I see. And this is in the form of, a, of software. Yeah, this is an app. There's always going to be a free version of it. Yeah. Yeah. So Fresh Try is an app. It's for behavior change, habit formation. Most people use it for weight loss, but there's also like people who use it for mental health improvements or getting just healthier in general. Um, and it is on both both app stores. And we have, you know, a free version that is not, you know, it, right now it's completely free. And then we're going to put a, a low cost subscription model in for some of the more expensive things like the coaching stuff like that for next time for next year. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, I'm just so fascinated and, and um, you know, where, where Kyra can people find out about you dive into you? You know, I, I don't want to overstate this, you know, but I, I just think what you've landed on here is very, very powerful. And um, I want the world to know what you're working on here and what you're doing. So tell, tell us yeah. where we can find you, how people can contact you, whatever the case might be. Yeah, absolutely. So drkyrabobinette.com. And then my company is freshtrytri.com. Mm. And then the books will be, the books are available on Amazon and other places where you find books. Um, and the uh, the second book, Unstoppable Brain, comes out March 29th, 2024. You know, who who do you help? Who who should come looking for you? You know, be that businesses or or people? I think anyone who is afflicted with this no do gap, who is afflicted with not knowing like, you know, why I want to do this, but I can't get myself to do it. That's, that's really who I'm interested in working with. Wow. That's fantastic. And so your book comes out and I've, I've written a book and I know the, the, at least for me, the pain that's involved in writing a book. So you've put a lot of effort into this and I suppose, you know, you're going to be promoting it, but I have to ask uh, a brilliant person like you, what's next? 
to me, what's next, my vision, my my hope is that the world will understand about this area of their brain, the habenula, and that will empower them to do better for themselves. And one way in which that is available is iteration. And I just want to spread the word of like, habenula is what's wrong with you. Like there's nothing wrong with you. Otherwise, once you know how to work with that, you will be free from all this other suffering that is unnecessary. And number two is iterate your way out of anything, you know, and when you're going through hell, just keep going, you know, like, like iterate your way out of it. And, and that that's the hope. And, and I think that's the empowering message that I want for everyone. Surely there's a Ted talk in here somewhere, right? One would hope. I mean, uh, you know, do you speak for a living, by the way? Do you I have speak professionally? For, yeah, I mean, I do. it, it I seems have. like, um, uh, it seems like you would be in, in great demand. And I, I sure hope you are, especially after the second book comes out, because what you're offering here is, I can speak for myself, but again, as a coach, I know this from others that it's a, it's, it's a widespread problem for those who are looking to succeed in whatever mm-hmm. form, whatever they mm-hmm. call success. Um, but, uh, they just get stumped and don't mm-hmm. know why, mm-hmm. you know, and I think you're, you're developing the answers to all this. Well, listen, Absolutely. uh, Dr. Kyra Bobinet, I, I can't thank you enough for being on here. I know I say this to guests like you, who I know has put in a lot of research. You've done just a ton of work and blood, sweat and tears. And now you're coming on grow yourself to share this with the world. And I just am so grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. The pleasure's mine.